last year that you could not go to the movie theater and not see a sequel. Nostalgia, throw it in our faces. Here's that exact same thing shot with a better camera. Welcome to Jimmy's Movie Club, a podcast shot on 70mm IMAX cameras. What? That doesn't make sense. It's an audio format. It's not shot on cameras. And IMAX cameras are (laughs) out of my budget. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in and listening this week. I want to start by talking about a little movie that I saw last September on Hulu. It's a little film called No One Will Save You, all right? Uh, An exiled, anxiety-ridden homebody must battle an alien who's found its way into her home. Now, this movie stars Caitlin Dever uh, and has a bit of a gimmick behind it in that there are no spoken words throughout the entire movie. It's basically... A silent film. Uh, There is some diegetic noise, you know, the footsteps, the explosions, the screaming, all that kind of stuff. But there's no actual dialogue except for one small part of the movie. It's this really interesting little movie where the idea behind it is that this woman's home is being invaded by aliens and the aliens are this very classic looking Area 51 kind of alien, you know the type, the type we kind of picture when we think of our generic lore aliens, they're kind of reptilian looking, they've got humanoid features like arms and legs and a body and a head and everything, Uh, but they've got those black long eyes and those massive craniums, that's the, the vibe of this movie. Now, I saw this uh, back when it uh, premiered on Hulu in in September of last year, and look, it's a perfectly fine film, right? I enjoyed it. I thought it was a little gimmicky. Not everything in it holds up super well. The ending is a little odd and a lot to digest, but ultimately, it's one of those movies, and this happens over and over and over again. It's one of those movies that I was a little bit disappointed never came out in theaters. It's one of those straight-to-streaming films that you look at the quality and you're like, this might have actually done pretty well in a movie theater if it had been properly marketed and released in theaters. But it wasn't. I want to read you my review of this movie Because I think it really opens up the perspective that you kind of have to put yourself in in order to understand my frustration with the circumstances under which this movie came out. So, uh, here goes. This was September 30th, 2023. Definitely more to like than to dislike here. I'm still unpacking that ending. But honestly, this is the kind of stuff I wish we could get more of. I promise this movie is way better than Equalizer 3, 
Expendables 4, Saw 10, The Nun 2, The Exorcist 2, My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3, The Meg 2, Fast 10, and all the other garbage sequels major movie studios are over-investing in and taking up movie theater space. So, a lot to unpack here. Clearly, September 2023 me was a bit annoyed by the state of movie theaters at that time. And it has to do with all these freaking sequels that keep coming out. No one is really asking for them. Maybe in a couple circumstances like Expendables or Equalizer they are or Saw. But my goodness, the fact that we entered a time. Now, now, granted, this is September. September is a bit of a dud month. I will give it that because you don't really start getting awards contenders until October, November, December. And the last of the big summer releases came out in August. So in many ways, September is a bit of a garbage dump month. And look, overall, 2023 was a great year for movies, okay? Just look at all of the awards contenders this year. There's some amazing movies that you can go see. But it's getting a little frustrated that movies like No One Will Save You simply are not getting the love from major, from major studios to get these sort of hidden gem garbage dump releases in months like September and January and February. They are instead being filled with The Equalizer 3 and Expendables 4 and Saw 10 and The Nun 2 and The Exorcist 2 and Big Fat Greek Wedding 3 and The Meg 2 and Fast 10, all of which were in theaters all at the same time. Think about that. There was a moment last year that you could not go to the movie theater and not see a sequel. And there's a number of reasons for this, right? There is a general feeling in the world right now to start reliving moments from our childhood. For older millennials, younger Gen Xers, it's the 80s, right? A lot of people consider the 80s the greatest decade. There's, over the past 10 years, has been this big push to go back to that, to to reset that standard and just kind of relive the 80s. And now it's, again, it's it's slowly starting to make its way into 90s territory. (laughs) But ultimately, because of that, we start getting reboots of Star Wars and Indiana Jones and Ghostbusters. The Hollywood market has gone in a direction such that it's becoming harder and harder for new ideas to get greenlit because people who are funding these movies are learning that certain things yield certain outcomes. And there are formulas that are designed to get good results. And you need look no further than the Jurassic Park franchise. Jurassic World, starring Chris Pratt, made so much money. Which is, like, awesome. Good for them, good for Chris Pratt, whatever. I think the Jurassic World movies are objectively terrible. That's my opinion. Furthermore, it kind of sends the wrong message. It tells producers who are funding these movies, that these are the safe options. 
and it discourages risk-taking. So if you're going to the movies recently and you're kind of thinking, hey, it kind of feels like nothing interesting or innovative has happened in a long, long time. The reason that's the case... One of the many reasons that's the case is there is, in general, a low confidence in new work right now. For whatever reason, there is an unusually high level of confidence in rebooting and rehashing and beating old IPs into the ground and creating as much of a cinematic universe as you possibly can. As much as I love Marvel and the MCU... They are also largely to blame for this because they showed that you can make a lot of money from a very specific type of product. And now everyone's trying to double dip into that idea. And as a consequence, we get very, very few good ideas. (laughs) And we get a whole lot of... Hey, remember Ghostbusters? Remember Jurassic Park? Remember Star Wars? Well, here's that exact same thing shot with a better camera and better special effects. And that's that's what a lot of movies are these days. There's an episode of South Park. Uh, it's, a, it's like a it's one of those uh, like half season multi episode storylines from South Park of these things called member berries. And they're these little berries that give people the feeling of nostalgia and it gives them the craving for nostalgia. And it's these member berries that are stinting creativity and causing people to simply long for what they had before. Now, South Park goes an extra mile in this and relates it to a different kind of movement in the United States that also has to do with hearkening back to a time before that was greater than the time we are in now. Make America great again. Sound familiar? And ultimately, I mean, South Park kind of makes the argument that those two mindsets are really one and the same. And they're both major efforts to call back to the 70s and 80s specifically, which is, you know, an odd thing. Uh, It's definitely not very productive for a younger generation who wants to have an identity and their own say in the way that the nation is moving. Regardless, it's this longing for what was before and this idea that because you have nostalgic feelings for something, that that thing is inherently better than what we have now. That's the kind of thing that leads to this. And And that's the kind of thing that causes studios to really hone in on that idea and it's the reason we are in an age of legacy sequels that we just don't want or don't need or we know they're not going to be good (laughs) i can think of one i can think of one singular legacy sequel that i genuinely enjoyed that i genuinely thought was a good sequel and a even an improvement upon the original movie and that's top gun maverick That is a legacy sequel that understands how to be, in and of itself, a good movie. A bad one, just look at Ghostbusters Afterlife, which, by the way, is getting a sequel to that movie now that looks terrible. But the Ghostbusters Afterlife movie from last year is basically the plot of a theme park ride. 
not to spoil or anything, but I'm going to spoil it right now. It's this big ghost setup for these new characters, which ultimately leads to this moment of Deus Ex Machina, where the original Ghostbusters show up and save the day for no reason. It makes no sense for them to do so. Makes no logical sense that they'd be in the movie at all. And yet there they are, because nostalgia, throw it in our faces. So here's what I say. We as moviegoers can do our part, possibly, to shift studios in the direction of newer and better ideas. Remember that these ideas were originally popular because they were new and good and original. They were things we hadn't seen before. I say we, I wasn't born yet for most of the, for most of these movies, but you get my point, right? We can do better to look for things that are new and that we think look interesting and go for those things and also be okay with the idea that, hey, maybe this doesn't need to be a cinematic universe. Maybe this can just be its own story. And look, I know it's hard. I know it's hard to look at it from that angle, especially when we as human beings are so busy, we don't have time to do research for movies that we're going to watch usually, and it shouldn't necessarily be on us to put forth the effort to avoid movies that are going to be bad. In a perfect world, we just expect that what we're paying money for is something that had real good artistic effort thrown behind it. And from there, it's just a matter of preference. You know, in a perfect world, we don't get objectively bad films that are just cash grabs because we ourselves trust (laughs) that our money is going towards something that had real effort put into it. I think this is all valuable food for thought. And look, ultimately, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. We can't control what's being put out. But believe it or not, I found it kind of hopeful when Indiana Jones 5 bombed last year. Because, look, I I love Harrison Ford. I love Indiana Jones. But I'm ready for the next thing that we get excited about that isn't something we've already gotten so much of. I'm ready for the next thing that really shapes our society. You know, something that we can watch and view in the future as a classic. It's a give and take, right? Hopefully, as we seek out more original things, these legacy sequels start to fade away, and we can really start to just get new, cool ideas. Because I'm a little tired of going to the movies and paying $15 to see Ghostbusters done again, the exact same way, but with worse jokes, less charisma, and better special effects. Like, that's just not what we should be interested in. We're better than that. As consumers, we are better than that. And with that, I'm going to get into some of the movies I watched in the last week. All right. I, my ongoing effort to see every film that is nominated for an Oscar before the Oscars is, well, ongoing. Uh, I have 12 left. I still need to see Robot Dreams, 
The Eternal Memory, Four Daughters, To Kill a Tiger, 20 Days in Marple, Il Capitano, The Teacher's Lounge, Golda, Our Uniform, War is Over, Night of Fortune, and Red, White, and Blue. Now, luckily, four of those are short films. Yay! And I should be able to knock out Il Capitano and The Teacher's Lounge this week, hopefully. Crossing my fingers, pray for me. The only one, again, here that I still... There are two here that I just haven't found. I don't know how to find them, and I'm working on it. But that's Robot Dreams and War is Over. So hopefully we figure that out soon. But uh, this week, I saw actually lots of movies. But I'm going to only talk about the, the the big features. And then I'll give you one uh, documentary that I thought was just marvelous. And I'm going to encourage everyone to watch. But... I saw two films on the international feature list, and that's Perfect Days from Japan and Zone of Interest from England, but it's in German. Perfect Days is about this man who works for the city of Tokyo cleaning public toilets, and he speaks very little. You know very little about him, other than at one point you learn that he actually comes from a very wealthy family, but you never learn why he left what the rift between he and his family is and why he himself is not wealthy and why he's he's cleaning toilets. You never learn any of that. But it just goes through several days of his life cleaning toilets. And he kind of loves it. And he, he has his routine that he goes through every day. And, you know, it's a very simple movie. The reason I think it's so good is Koji Yakusho who plays uh, Hirayama, the main character, is so such an amazing actor. And it's even better uh, hearing this. The director, Wim Wenders, doesn't speak Japanese. And he gave direction to Koji, I guess, through through gestures and occasional translators and w- whatever it is. I'm not, I'm not totally sure how that all worked. But all the direction came uh, through a language barrier. And uh, the performance is just masterful. I-, I actually came away a little annoyed that he wasn't nominated. I don't know if there are rules against that. Uh, if the people nominated have to be in films that are American produced, uh, that that I'm not sure about. But uh, I gave it four stars. It really is a great movie. If you get a chance to see it, definitely do that because... Uh, just for Koji's performance, it's totally worth it. I also finally saw Zone of Interest. Now, I'm I'm just going to read you my review because it's really good, but I do have some caveats. I'm always one to recognize and praise technical brilliance. The artistic vision behind this movie is otherworldly, not to mention the bone-chilling sound. However, I can't help but feel like something is missing here. It's timely, horrific, provocative, and yet it oddly lacks the pathos necessary to get me fully invested. The movie's heart is just more in its gimmick, that's not derogatory, than it is in its story. I'm glad it's having such an impact on so many people, though. So, I get what it's doing, alright? The premise here is, this is a family, the dad is a Nazi soldier who works at Auschwitz, And the family lives in a little compound right on the outside of Auschwitz. And the movie is about this family having this very, very normal 
family life, except for the fact that right on the other side of the wall, there are major atrocities happening, and they are sitting there pretending as though they are not happening. And especially in a world of an Israel-Palestine war, where it, it becomes very easy to sit back and ignore the fact that Palestinians are getting wiped out of Gaza. All right, it's very easy to sit back and forget that Ukraine is under siege. And while we, we are definitely in a different circumstance where we're not right next to that action, but other people watching this are, it's it's just, it's something to think about. It's It's absolutely something to think about. And it's a really interesting look at it you see how desperately they are trying to put on this face of, no, we are normal, nothing is wrong here, nothing is bad here. And meanwhile, you can hear bloody murder screaming on the other side of the wall. And you can see smoke rising up from the ovens and the showers that they're being forced, that, you know, the the, the Holocaust victims are being forced into. And it's this idea of being a part of this indoctrinated evil now, part of the way this movie portrays that is this almost bird's eye view of the family. There aren't really any close shots. It's a lot of wide shots. The dialogue is all very mundane. It's all very stoic. And while there is a level of effectiveness to that, I think it kind of handicaps the movie's ability to get you really invested in the contrast between the atrocities on one end and the faux humanity on the other side of the wall. So it's, and then you you interject this, uh, there's sort of a B-plot where one of the women visiting this house is hiding food for people in Auschwitz to find and and eat. Uh, she, she's sneaking out in the middle of the night and planting, like, apples and, and, and stuff like that. And it's shot in this uh, almost infrared uh, camera style. And it's, I, it's, it's unique and cool and new, I guess. But I'm, I just don't know if it really has the effect that, that they're going for. At least not to me. I know a lot of people are really moved and affected by the way that this movie is presented. I I really, my personal opinion is that while the execution is, is really great, it's just not to the level where I'm really getting affected by it. And I think a more intimate approach might have done a better job with that. So... I gave it three and a half stars. I recognize how cool it is and how bone chilling it is and how eerie it is. It just didn't hit me the way I feel like it's hitting so many other people. So if you watch it, I mean, trigger warning, there's a lot of disturbing stuff in it. You never see it, but you hear it. I don't know. Maybe you watch it and you tell me what you think. Uh, Feel free to reach out because... Uh, it, I'm clearly missing something here, and I would love for anyone listening who gets it and loves it and adores it to please inform me <laughs> what I am missing here, uh, where that pathos is that I that's supposed to really invest me in this story. 
All right, the last full-length feature I saw this week is Drive-Away Dolls, a hilarious movie written and directed by Ethan Cohen about two lesbians who are driving down I-95 to Tallahassee, and the drive-away car that they are renting happens to have a briefcase full of phallic contraband and uh, a hat box with Pedro Pascal's severed head in it. And it's hilarious, and it's uh, very sweet. It's very cute a lot of times. It's uh, it's funny. I enjoyed it. It's not the best Coen Brothers movie. I wouldn't even say it's in the top half of Coen Brothers movies. But, you know, it's cute, and it's fun. Content warning, it is a hard R. <laughs> So if you're sensitive to that kind of thing, you don't need to check it out. It's fine. Don't worry about it. But I enjoyed it. I gave it three stars. Thumbs up. Three stars and a thumbs up. Um, I, I definitely think it's worth the watch if you were looking at it and it was something you were interested in. Or if you need like an introduction to the Coen brothers doing funny material, like just straight comedy. It's another good one. But the big recommend I want to give to everyone. And luckily, this is available on Disney Plus and Hulu, I think. One or the other. It's definitely, I found it on Disney Plus, so it's definitely on Disney Plus. But it is one of the short documentaries nominated for an Oscar this year called The Last Repair Shop. In a warehouse in the heart of Los Angeles, a dwindling handful of devoted craftspeople maintain more than 80,000 student musical instruments, the largest remaining workshop in America of its kind. Meet four unforgettable characters whose broken and repaired lives have been dedicated to bringing so much more than music to the school children of this city. So basically, it's this repair shop that repairs students' musical instruments for free. And my goodness, it is such a powerful little movie. I cried. I cried so much just reading my review for it. Some things are just made for you. This was made for me in every way. Did I weep? Hysterically. Now, the fact that I told you I wept hysterically, maybe it means you won't cry at all. I don't know. It's not like a gut punch kind of cry as much as it is just a, this is so wholesome and so sweet kind of cry. And it it got me just right. I think it's a beautiful documentary. It's my favorite to win in that category this year. So I want to encourage you, please go watch The Last Repair Shop. It's about a 40-minute movie. So it's a very quick watch, and I really think it'll be worth your time. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening. Jimmy's Movie Club is recorded, edited, and produced by me, Jimmy Henderson. As always, don't forget to like and subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening. You can find me on Letterboxd at Jimmy Henderson, that's J-I-M-M-Y-H-E-N-D-E-R-S-O-N, or on Instagram at Jimmy Henderson Actor. And finally, if you enjoy the sultry sound of my voice, I have another podcast called Follow Spot that I host with my good friend, Ben Butters. See you next time. Follow Spot.